you. So we're in Luke's gospel, and we are considering things that we can gather, things that we can pick up along the journey of faith. The image of the road, the image of the path prevails in Luke's gospel. It is front and center in this gospel. In the ninth chapter of Luke, Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. And for 10 chapters, for 10 of 24 chapters, Jesus and his disciples are on the road. So my scripture passage that I have for you this morning is from the ninth chapter of Luke's gospel, beginning with verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is a story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus says, follow me. We have a similar saying in our house. It's, uh, I'll be in the car. You know how it is with a full house, with children and teenagers. It's difficult to get focused. And even when the departure time is set and agreed upon, we're never really ready at the same time. And inevitably, the first person says, I'll be in the car, which implies I'll be seeing you there in the car very soon. The words transmit a degree of... Uh, irritation and impatience. Why must I always wait on you? Why do you slow me down? It's easy for me to place this impatience upon Jesus because it does seem like the disciples are slowing him down. They repeatedly misunderstand his identity and his mission. In the 10 verses that lead up to this passage, the disciples argue with one another about who is the greatest. Not a good way to spend time with Jesus. And then they offer to call down fire from heaven to destroy a Samaritan village. You know, in both instances, the energy of the disciples is misspent. Their questions are irrelevant to this face that is turned toward Jerusalem, to this life that is focused on sacrifice and making a way for lives to flourish. Well, if the 12 disciples don't get it, if they don't fully understand, there's always a possibility that the road will provide better candidates, candidates who understand a little more clearly. It could happen. As Jesus begins this journey to Jerusalem, he invites others to join. He creates space for them to be there. Repeated three times in verses 57 through 62 is the word follow. Three different people inquire about the path, about the journey. 
The first says, I will follow. To the second, Jesus says, follow me. And the third again says, I will follow. The whole structure of these few verses of scripture hangs on this concept of following Jesus. Following Jesus to Jerusalem. And quickly, immediately, we see that the invitation to follow is difficult to accept. Or maybe it's just difficult to grasp, to understand exactly what we are accepting when we agree to follow Jesus. The first person says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies, I'm totally dependent upon the hospitality of others. Are you willing to live like this? Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This path is an exercise in stretching and growing faith, trusting, trusting others to grow our faith in God and trusting God to grow our faith in others. This is the way I've heard Pete Enns define the concept of faith, trust. This path invites all who travel on it to trust in really big ways. Are you ready to go? To the second person on the road, Jesus says, follow me. Which prompts the recruit to disclose how seriously he takes his own piety. The duty to bury a parent, to bury a father is, was binding on all devout Jews. He says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now, we don't know if the father is dead. So how much time is being requested here? Is it days? Is it years? Is it decades? It could be. We don't know. Jesus' response is, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. It seems harsh. But this path invites all to prioritize the good from the good. The good from the good. That's a difficult task. Discerning the good from the bad is not hard. We're all pretty competent at sorting out good from evil, but deciding among good things, that, that is the tricky path of discipleship. Preaching professor Fred Craddock wrote, the radicalism of Jesus's words lies in his claim to priority over the best, not the worst in human relationships. When we choose this path, when we choose the road to Jerusalem, the way of Jesus, we are free from worship of possessions. We are freed from worship of family. And yet, ironically enough, Craddock says, we find the distance on this path to love our family well. 19th century philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer told a fable that I think illustrates this point well. It was about a group of porcupines. The porcupines found themselves on a cold winter's day. And so in order to keep from freezing, they would move closer to one another. However, for the porcupines, that proved painful because they'd poke each other with their quills when they got closer to one another. To stop the pain, they would then spread out 
and again they would start to shiver, which sent them again in search of one another. Isn't that the way it is in families? We porcupines, we porcupines need a comfortable distance from each other, and yet we need to not freeze in isolation. I have seen disciples sort this out. I have seen disciples of Jesus sort this out. This week, I challenged a young pastor who claimed that a person could be spiritually mature and interpersonally or emotionally immature. I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. I think the way that we interact with one another, the way that we treat one another is a sign of our spiritual maturity. So the question we should ask ourselves is, can we see the image of God in every person that we meet? Because the image of God is there. You've never met a person without the image of God. This path to spiritual maturity, it's not easy and it's not automatic, as some would tell you. Are you ready to go? Well, the third person says to Jesus, I will follow you, but let me say goodbye. Let me say goodbye to the people at home. Let me smooth things over before I go. And Jesus says, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This path is not about smoothing over the past. This path is about being focused on what's right in front of you. This path is about moving ahead. There's a story in the Hebrew Bible a story in 1 Kings chapter 19 that echoes through Jesus' response here. The prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah calls Elisha to follow him. Elijah has just had an encounter with the Lord where the God of hosts passes by him and he leaves this experience to pass by Elisha. As he passes by Elisha, he throws his mantle, his cloak, upon the young man, which means that he's passing the prophet's baton to him. At the time of this calling, Elisha is plowing a field. He's plowing a field with 12 teams of oxen. I can't even imagine. <laughs> this is hard to picture. Elisha is running an extremely large operation in 1 Kings chapter 19. Either Elisha has considerable wealth or this is a reference to the 12 tribes of Israel, probably both. He says to the prophet, I will follow you, but first let me kiss my father and mother. Elijah says to him, sure, go back. He says, go back. Then Elisha doesn't just kiss his parents. In fact, the narrative doesn't even mention that. When Elisha goes home, what he does is he slaughters the oxen, all 12 teams with the plowing equipment and he feeds a crowd. Essentially what he does when he goes home is he destroys the place. <laughs> he destroys the wealth. What a way to say goodbye. I have to wonder if his parents weren't just stunned. I bet they would have preferred it if he had hit the road. If you put your hand to the plow and you look back, it messes up the field. If you put your hand to the plow and you look back, it messes up the row. 
It's not good farming. Jesus means to place his mantle on everyone who comes near. He wants us to keep our focus on the road ahead, on the footfall that's right in front of us, prioritizing the good from the good and trusting that what we will need will be provided. These are hard ways, but it's how disciples travel. Scholars have long puzzled over why Luke clearly introduces this theme of the road, this theme of the path, and then he makes few references, very few references to it as Jesus and his disciples travel for 10 more chapters on a very indirect route to Jerusalem. It's not the way ways would send you. You know, I've noticed I've noticed when each member of my family is ready and they make their way to the car, when we all are in our seats and our seatbelts are fastened, once we start the drive, there's an inevitable question. Do you know what it is? Are we there yet? When do we get there? Spiritually speaking, that question has been just as problematic to me as me projecting my impatience and my irritation onto Jesus. Jesus isn't irritated with me. The one who prioritizes love of God and love of neighbor isn't impatient with me. And the focus for the disciple is to be the road, not the there, not the destination. I can remember processing a disappointment that my oldest child had with a mentor of mine, this was about 10 years ago, she didn't qualify for something that she really wanted to qualify for. And she was sad and I was mad. Boy, boy, I was gonna fix it. I was thinking I was gonna challenge that decision and get her in there. (laughs) My older, wiser friend who was further down the path said, I think the important thing here, Dinah, isn't the winning or the losing, but it's that the two of you got to go to the competition together. And now you get to walk through the after effects together. Alexander John Shia says about Luke's gospel that Luke is in itself an account of spiritual maturation. It's about maturing in the faith. Every important event happens on the road between destinations. And this is how we mature in life. We mature in our faith in the in-between times. The worship Bible here on the altar, it's open to the ninth chapter of Luke's gospel. And I flipped through it this morning looking at the chapters of the path, the chapters of the journey. And you know what? There's a lot of red letters in this Bible in those chapters, which means Jesus is talking a lot on the journey. He's talking a lot on the path. The question then becomes, are we listening? Can we take it in? Can we take in what Jesus has to offer us while we walk this journey? There's so much to take in, so much to learn. Could it be true? Could it be true that the treasure of faith isn't at the end, but the treasure of faith is along the way? Loving God and loving neighbor, stretching and growing after each challenge in life.
I think it's the case. And I think it's why Jesus repeatedly invites people to follow, even today. Are you ready to go? I am. Heck, I'll be in the car. (laughs) Will you pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit. Would you settle in our hearts and calm our minds? This day we trust our path to you. We are grateful for those who walk every footfall with us. We admire the scenery. We treasure each conversation. When there are obstacles, remind us to stretch, to grow stronger in love. We seek to follow the way of Rabbi Jesus, who is our companion and our Savior. Amen.